From the campus of Stanford University, this is Schools In. They believe that what we're being told is everything they need to know, and they just pay attention to that. You actually have to teach the teachers how to teach for innovation. With your hosts, Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. Welcome to Schools In. I'm Denise Pope, Senior Lecturer at the Stanford Graduate School of Education, and I am here with my co-host, Dan Schwartz, who is the Dean at the Stanford Graduate School of Education. Doctor goes to Washington Pope. <laughs> Doctor goes to Washington. Why are you saying that, Dan? Because we are recording in Washington, D.C., and we're talking about leadership. And we are in front of a live audience for the first time with this show. Woo! So, so is it possible to blush for like 25 straight minutes? Yeah, I think <laughs> I, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Um, I have a question for you, Dan. Yeah, I'm going to ask you first. I'm going to do this. Uh, did you ever run for office for any kind of leadership position? Did you have to participate in some kind of an election for a role that you were seeking? Uh, I was junior high president. No. Yes, I was. Uh, there was... Uh, basically ninth grade girls oh. forced me into running for president <laughs> and and I won that oh, damn that's like that's shocking to me that you that you were that <laughs> anyone could convince you to do anything that no, you didn't no, want to I, do I know the turn you what you were gonna say <laughs> <laughs> shocking me that you got elected to anything <laughs> no 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 so how about, so how about you I I um I have a sad story uh-huh. I ran I can't remember if it was middle school or high school but I was running for class president and my maiden name, you know, my name at the time was Denise Clark. And I just had it in my head that you had to get people to remember your name. And I t- shamelessly threw out Clark candy bars. Clark bars? Do you remember those from like the old days? Yes. And, and I was basically trying to bribe people to vote for me. It was, it was pathetic. It was absolutely pathetic. I didn't talk about any initiatives, really. It was just here, it's have candy. It's high. I know. Yes, I but I, but like high. I should have had initiatives. Anyway, I lost I lost. They didn't like the Clark bars. So if your last name was Milky Way, I it think, happened, I you think it. that yeah. would have been it. That would have been it. So, so I had a very so you short know career. I, I was also high school president. Were you? Oh, Dan. Well, I, yeah. So it, it didn't help me get into Stanford. This, But never ceases to amaze. <laughs> never ceases to amaze me. So you were middle school president and high school president. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I accomplished nothing. Uh, but <laughs> no major initiatives that you can remember? No, no, no. You must have done something good in middle school that they reelected you. Uh, I, so I was the sort of guy who made friends with all the different groups. So I didn't sit in a clique. Mm. Uh, so I, if, if we had a big issue of the day, I could have brought people together. See, I wish that we so could protect- have more of that in, in today's society, right? Don't just sit with, with one group. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try not to get too political, but... We actually have a political leader with us today. And I'm really excited to introduce Representative Chrissy Houlihan, who represents Pennsylvania's 6th Congressional District. She is an Air Force veteran and a graduate of Stanford, where she earned a degree in engineering. She uh, taught chemistry at Simon Gratz High School in North Philadelphia with Teach for America. She worked at a nonprofit helping underserved students build their literacy skills, and she was elected last fall. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. It's very, very kind of you to join us. So I'd like to ask like an icebreaker question. Uh, Harder, teaching chemistry, uh, 
being congresswoman, being in the Air Force? The hardest thing I ever did in my life was teaching chemistry. And I taught chemistry in my mid-40s. I went into Teach for America as a mid-40-year-old person having already served in the military, having already grown a variety of different businesses and run a, a variety of different organizations, and the single hardest thing I ever did was teaching chemistry. So, so when I started teaching, uh, I got an emergency credential, uh, which means you, uh, you got a little bit of summer training, and then I went in the classroom. Uh, behavior, is that, is that what was hard? No, behavior. actually, it wasn't. And actually, having never been a teacher before, the, the learning that there was such a thing as classroom management was sort of an eye opener for me, having never been a teacher until until I was educated through the TFA program. And I also did a little bit of work at a GSE up in Pennsylvania as well. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> not to be named GSE. Um, but I, I think that it, it really was kind of a remarkable experience to learn that it wasn't really about the children. The kids were amazing. Um, and yes, of course, we had behavioral issues, um, but the, the issue was all the other things that were going on around my kids. You know, my kids were 97, 98% free and reduced lunch program kids with coming from incredibly challenged uh, a community, going through a lot of transition, the community itself, and the challenge was beyond the children. It was beyond that. I pretty much pretty early on learned that it, my job was largely to be a mom in that particular situation because one of the reasons I pivoted into running the nonprofit that was focused on early childhood literacy was my kids that I was teaching in 11th grade were reading largely at around the third and fourth grade level uh, and the realization that I had was I really needed to be focused on literacy rather than on uh, chemistry if I had hope for this generation of kids and that's why I joined that, that organization. Makes a lot of sense. So uh, do, did the teaching experiences kind of lead you into leadership? And so here's, uh, we have lots of convenings at Stanford and there'll be like a panel of ambassadors and there'll be uh, government Congress people speaking. And at the end, they exhort the undergrads to enter public life, to be leaders. Did uh, teaching do this? Did it sort of twist you to think, Boy, I should I should keep stepping up in the ladder to help. So I'm third generation military. My dad and my grandfather served full careers in the in the Navy, and I joined the Air Force. I was ROTC at Stanford, um, and that's how I was able to to manage getting through school. and I and I served right afterwards. So service is part of my DNA and my family heritage. And so as I was growing and scaling businesses serving also, you can do that by running a business too. And then when I pivoted it back into education, it definitely was the same kind of um, with the, the focus that I thought at that point in time, our nation was really uh, craving help in the education space. It was what I thought was our most uh, pressing challenge. I now think we have a much bigger challenge in terms of how our democracy is, in my opinion, unraveling. Uh, and so that's why about two years ago, I decided to do another pivot and to try and lead and serve in this new way. And I uh, realized that I had a little bit of a background in, in military, a little bit of background in um, at running for-profits and non-profits and a little bit in education. And I thought that that was a good uh, set of skills to bring to Congress, to bring and serve in our on our behalves. So um, I, I'm not going to take the bait on democracy unraveling. 
because it's really tempting. But I, Denise we're, is. We're going to pivot. We're going to pivot. Denise is going to pivot. Yeah. Yes. We're not going to go there. But but I do think your background doing all of those things in the military, and thank you for your service, by the way, and thank you, your family, for their incredible service. I do think your background as a teacher probably can help inform your work at Congress. Are, do you see specific ways already that that's been happening? There, there are some kind of crazy ways that it happens in, in a sense, because you, you find that you're trying to find ways to work collaboratively with a lot of different people who it's kind of 435 independent contractors, you know, running around Congress. And in some ways, that is a little bit of what you're doing when you're working within a within a, a school situation, as opposed to when you're working within an organization where you are part of a management structure or part of a team. So I think there's something there. I actually participated in a, in a hearing on modernization of Congress. Uh, one of the suggestions that I gave in terms of how we can modernize basically takes a page out of how we do some rotational schedules in high school, where here we have, you know, seven different kinds of classes in high school, and every class meets at a different time, five days a week, and there's double periods for labs, and there's periods for clubs, and we we know how to do this. And in Congress, we don't know how to do that. You know, we have congressional hearings that are happening all the time at the same time. I'm part of three committees that in some cases will meet exactly at the same time. And the idea that I need to be there at the same time <laughs> is pretty impossible. So those are things, lessons from the classroom that would be Boy. useful. We are speaking with Representative Chrissy Houlihan, and we are talking about her role as a teacher and what she learned as a teacher that's helping inform her work in Congress. Scheduling. Yeah. Scheduling is huge. Uh, that's huge. Time management. Herding cats, it sounded like a little bit at the beginning, too. Okay, so I, I can't resist. Uh-oh. <laughs> Do you think education can play any role in preventing the unraveling of democracy? Or, or this is something that has to be decided in the political arena. I think it's essential. You know, I think that part of the reason why we're divided as a nation right now is that we um, don't have a whole lot of common ground. And I believe that our education defines that common ground that we have. And I think as we strip out things, I'm a big, I'm an engineer, so I'm a big advocate of STEM. But as we st strip out things like the arts with, you know, STEAM, then we end up becoming a nation that doesn't have the same kind of common vernacular, the same kind of common way of seeing each other. And so service, national service is really important, but also making sure that we've equipped everybody to be able to participate in the economy that we're developing is really essential because otherwise we're leaving people out and behind. And I think that's why we are where we are right now. And we're really broken and divided and we need to be healed, um, but we need to be healed by finding the commonalities that we have together. And I just want to point out for those who don't know what STEM is, it's science, technology, engineering, and math. And um, there's a trend to be looking at that as a whole instead of piecemeal, teaching things piecemeal. And STEAM is where you add in the arts and the humanities um, to make it a whole. So I think it's great that you you recognize that we need all of that. And, and just focusing solely on certain of those subjects isn't going to give us the, the skills we need for, uh, for a true democracy. Well, in even civics, frankly, I didn't ever take a civics class. And I um, was asleep at the wheel um, until about two years ago in terms of the importance of the role of government. And I think if I had had more of an education in that way, then I would have been a more a better participant in, in the citizenry. The last history class that I took, and this is sort of tragic, was in high school. Um, and that's because I was an engineer. Uh, and I think it would have been useful to have had a little bit more histor historical background. For sure. For sure. Wow. That's 
That's interesting. So I don't, I don't, if you, if you were going to design your ideal civics experience for a student, it's probably not studying like uh, European 17th century history. Would it be bring them to Washington, let them see what it looks like, see the sausage being made? So in fact, that actually would be something that I would advocate. I think that when I was teaching, one of the things that I didn't like about the chemistry class that I was asked to instruct was it was very direct instruction oriented. And I'm a, you know, I'm a hands-on kind of person. Project-based learning was how I learned. Uh, and I was frankly pretty upset about the fact that I was being asked to teach with the sort of sit down, close your mouth, listen to what I have to say, and, and then regurgitate what I just told you. That wasn't okay with me, especially in the sciences. Uh, and so, yes, in terms of how you would civically engage kids, today I got to bring actually a Stanford classmate of mine from uh, a year older than me. He brought his daughter into town. She was 11. She sat with me on the floor of the house, and we went through the voting process, and she was like, we want to be yeses, right? We, we need more yeses. You know, and I told her which side of the aisle everything was. And That's so, awesome. yeah, it's really That's interactive awesome. experience. That's really awesome. <laughs> so, That's incredible. Yeah. And I, just even walking around yesterday here, there were um, several schools groups and I know it's like a thing in California I don't know if it's a thing in other states where a lot of eighth graders go to Washington and it is their first experience kind of learning how the this gets done. But I worry that they're just kind of traipsing in and out of museums and they kind of looked exhausted and they were kind of on their phones and some of them were, were, were paying attention. But I think if there was more of that, and I know you can't host every eighth grader in the country on the floor, but this idea of how do we want to even make these experiential trips, which, which schools are doing all that much better to really teach civics. So in my district last week, I was home for district week and I got the opportunity to visit a grove um, that does a set of classes for kids in high school that was sort of a model UN but for government and they got to go through the process of designing a bill and then arguing for their bill and then setting it up for a vote and you know I'm, I'm of the generation of I'm just a bill schoolhouse rock kind of stuff totally uh, yeah but I don't think that they are <laughs> so these were, these were good experiences for them to have oh no that's excellent we are speaking with representative Chrissy Houlihan on all things related to education civics and particularly with her role as a representative what she brings to that so, um, so I, I would very much like to see beginning teachers to uh, sort of begin to elevate their sight lines towards the things they could do uh, as leaders, uh, perhaps as advocates for their children. Uh, they come to the class or seeing their sights at the administration or perhaps government. How, how, do I, how do I get people to sort of see this as a possibility? As a teacher, I'm, I'm... Yeah, as a teacher, how do I help them see the possibility that they could actually, 15 years from now, be running something important? Well, it would be helpful if the people in front of the child looked like them. And I think that that's probably the biggest challenge. And I think it's kind of nice to be in Congress in a, in a, in a session where people increasingly look more and more like our population. And so I think when you're in a classroom, if your teacher sort of looks like you in a way, um, or, or tries to make sure that you have experiences where you see other people who look like you, I think that's a way to elevate your sight line and to see that you can be that way. This young woman who I had with me, a young girl, uh, was able to see on, uh, you know, at the speaker's uh, chair, the, you know, one of the first, uh, um, Native Americans who had been elected to, to Congress. And that's pretty amazing. That's a pretty amazing thing to, to elevate your eyesight and to yeah, be able to yeah. see. It's really, really important. I agree. And, and not just important as a role model, but important to have the body representing you being representative of you. 
So let's talk about some of the education issues that are coming before Congress. People were talking about um, sort of 2018 as the year of the teacher. A lot was going on. But I know there's a lot out there, student loan payments, affordability, certainly accountability. Are you on any of the committees that that work with these? <laughs> so we have this incredibly diverse new class. Um, and it's not just I'm, a, I'm on the Democratic side. It's not just on the Democratic side, the Republican side as well. There's more than 80 of us who are brand new. And collectively, we are more than a quarter of the Congress. And we come from this really amazing set of experiences. Most of us haven't served in government before. The only time I ever ran for anything was as secretary of my eighth grade class, and I lost. Oh, we have something in common. Well, she uh, candy bars. I did try and throw candy bars. That could have been the reason why I didn't win. But you know, but what what's remarkable about the diversity of this class is that uh, I chose to be on armed services and foreign affairs and small business because I thought that's what I had to contribute. You know, and that's where my skill sets were largely. Other people, we have a remarkable class, have much deeper heritages in education than I do, and they should be on the sort of education and labor. We shouldn't fight with one another about who gets to be there, we should make sure that we're putting ourselves in the places where we can be most effective. But, but some committees are considered more plumb than others? Is that what happens? Uh, no, actually what's interesting is the Education and Labor Committee historically has been sort of the place where people don't want to be. There was an absolute brawl for it uh, this time because there were so many people who had experience in it and frankly so many who were women uh, who thought uh, appropriately that education was key. I think historically that's not been the case and I think that there really was a fascinating brawl for that. For me, I, you know, I aimed myself at armed services and foreign affairs for other obvious reasons. Well, that's great news. Yeah. I think, unless they're going to squabble. Who? On the, 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 uh, the people who are battling to get into oh, education. No, no, they wanted to get there because it's so important. Uh, you know, and I think yeah. that my, my role as, as one of their teammates, one of their classmates, is to be able to reach into them and talk about, I'll give you an example, I'm on armed services, and one of the subcommittees I'm on is something that's called readiness. Only uh, about 30% of the people who try to get into the military can. And that is because of they're not ready. They don't have the education. They don't have, have the physical fitness. It, they're not ready. And so it's my challenge on the readiness committee to make sure that we are ready from you know at any point in time. And so I will be working with education and labor to find the way to make sure that we are able to be ready. Uh, and it's one of the conversations that I've had across the committee lines and across you know my community. That's interesting. You're listening to Schools In on Sirius XM, and we will be back with more with Representative Chrissy Houlihan on all things around Congress, education, readiness, and the military. Students focus on what they were told, not paying attention to the situation. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. So they're not going to see anything new because they're so busy trying to copy what you told them. From the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In. You're listening to Schools In on Sirius XM. I am Denise Pope. I'm here with Dan Schwartz, and we are speaking with Representative Chrissy Houlihan. And I, I've, I've got to ask about this. This is a little controversial. but why, why do you look at me when you say that? Well, because you could fire me as my, <laughs> as my boss. <laughs> um, I want to ask about teacher strikes. It's been happening uh, more and more. Um, I don't know how you want to answer that. Do you, do you have a feeling one way or the other? Let, let me help. Dan's going to help set it up. Are people talking about this in Washington, the teacher strikes? So I watched this happening throughout the course of when I was running, and it was happening in a lot of the states that many of my friends were running in, and it really gave me um, energy uh, that, that teachers are some of the most 
important humans that we have in our communities, and they are so undervalued and underpaid, uh, and in many cases undermined <laughs> in the things that they do. And so I, there's an expression in Congress, reclaiming my time. Like I'm kind of grateful that teachers are out there reclaiming their time, you know, and reclaiming their uh, their importance in our communities. And and is the federal government thinking of having something to do with this? or it's just gonna leave it to the states? I think I have not heard any conversations related to what you're asking in the 100, nearly 100 days I've been here at the federal level, so I do believe that it largely sits at the state so level. So let's do a, a, a little shift, because I know you've talked about early childhood literacy and have experience there, and you also have a place in your heart for STEM education. Tell us what you think would be, you know, the best way to move forward in thinking about both of those areas. Like we can, we can start with one. Pick, pick which one that you'd like to, to start with. Well, literacy, it's where we have to start. And if we can't read, then we cannot do a lot of the other things that are required for the rest of our journey in education. And so the things that I was helpful in focusing on was uh, the program I helped uh, grow was one that focused on pre-K through fourth grade early childhood literacy, particularly in communities where kids were, in some cases, learning about six months and then falling about three months behind regularly. Uh, and as we know, that that means that they just can't compete with kids who are not experiencing that same sort of loss. And so I think that's where we have to start. Um, and we have to figure out ways not only to focus on uh, their learning, but also to focus on parent parental engagement and the engagement of the community as well. And so one of the things that my program that we worked on focused on was making sure that it wasn't just the teacher's responsibility, that you know everything was not on the teacher all the time, that we were also integrating the parents and the people who love that child in the everyday learning experience. And I think that's also essential too, which is empowering the parent. I think especially in such a dangerous environment as we live in now where gun safety and gun violence is a real pressing issue, we've created um, a fortress in the school that doesn't really welcome parents they don't feel welcome, particularly parents who maybe aren't uh, literate themselves or as literate as, as they'd like to be, or maybe uh, Eng English is not their first language. We've created an environment where they feel like it's a hostile, you know, they have to penetrate the fortress that is the school. So that's one of the places that I would start. And then frankly, basic math skills. I mean, I start, I talk a big game about STEM and STEAM and I have a degree from Stanford and one from MIT, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. But that does, you do not have to have those degrees to be able to be um, fluent in, in numbers. The basic uh, technical and vocational training that you need is not happening in this economy or in, in this country either. And so we need to be focused not just on higher education like the, the farm, but also on making sure that everybody who would like to have uh, a job that might require things like being able to measure and count is able to do that. Mm -hmm. So Denise, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question just, just to see what kind of rise I get. Oh. This so, sometimes so, happens. Getting a trend. So, yeah, just so, bear, so, bear with it. it so sometimes someone, happens. someone said to me the other day, I don't know why we need people to read. Because from now on, you can hear it. You can always get speech. So people are watching, instead of reading textbooks, they're watching videos where there's a lecture. I can have my book read to me so I don't have to learn. What do you think? Was, well, was, you is know this, that is this like a softball pitch? Well, no. I mean, I'm a former high school English teacher. I, um, really? I, I know that, that I say it a lot on the show. I, it's because I, I, I loved it. Kind of like you, you, you loved what you were doing as a teacher. And I 
think that the experience of reading is profoundly different from the experience of listening um, or, or hearing. And, and actually, there's wonderful research out about sort of oral storytelling and what that can give people. And it is different. It's different skills. Um, but I, I feel, uh, as does um, Chrissy here, that literacy is paramount and that, that you absolutely have to have the experience of So I, I was distinguishing literacy which is, you know, sort of understanding. And reading. And reading. You don't think reading's going to go the way of the slide rule? I, I, I really hope it, it doesn't. Okay, just testing. We just are testing. speaking with Chrissy Houlihan, and we're talking about <laughs> her role. I, I'd like to be on the record that yeah. I'm pro-reading. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. You heard it here first. Pro-reading. Pro-reading. Dan, Pro. are like you pro-reading? Read. I am pro-reading. But but just but you do need to entertain the alternatives. I, I think and, and there's absolutely skills to so be like learned good leadership there. entertains the alternatives and it helps you harden your position or or <laughs> or you can reach across the aisle. That you got it. You so got it. I you said something that that I I'm just sort of fascinated by. What is the readiness in education that someone needs for the military? Because I that that was sort of like huh I hadn't thought about that before. What do you see them needing from an education standpoint? So there are, are the equivalent of sort of exams that you take. Uh-huh. So okay. you're, you're sort of assessed by how you do on those exams. And there's baseline assessment required, similar to a lot of different things, that gateways that we go through in any other career that we'd like to pursue. There's also physical readiness as well. And that's um, not necessarily, you know, that you have one of my cousins is 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 really involved in the military. I used to have four active duty cousins and they're very, very fit. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about making sure that you um, are healthy and this gets to social justice uh, issues as well. You know, issues where the climate is changing particularly affect communities like the ones that I was teaching in and my kids regularly had asthmatic attacks and those kinds of things. You are not ready if you have asthma uh, and that is also a problem. Right. And if you live in a food desert and you can't put healthy things into your body. Right. Yeah. And I think I mean, as you think about that, it's like what's what's good for the military is good for everyone. Right. Everyone needs to have this kind of. And that's why I'm grateful that I have the ability to sort of reach into this really important conversation of education through the lens of where I sit in Congress. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. We have a few minutes left, Dan. Do you have something to say? Uh, I, I would like to return to the question of leadership. I, w- I would, I've seen this over and over where people are trying, they come and they speak at Stanford and they try to convince people to engage in public service. And so one answer is you let them see role models of people who are in public service. Other, other, other levers we can try? I can only speak from my own experience, and I feel as though we are in a really interesting change period right now where I feel like it's becoming fashionable again to be involved in service in this way, uh, in leadership by serving in things like what I am doing. Um, a new generation, the younger generation of people really want to make sure they're bringing their their whole selves to work, and that means they want to bring their entire um 
they don't want to be a different person at work than they are at home. They want to bring all of their uh, ethical and moral values, you know, everywhere they go with them. And I think that that's great because that means that our, hopefully our, our nation will be more healthy as a result and that people will be better leaders when they do that. So I, I think that we are in a really important inflection point. My freshman r- roommate became my roommate for four years at Stanford and she went into the Peace Corps right after I graduated. I went to the military. She went into the Peace Corps. She, her whole life, our whole lives has now been been teaching either through the Peace Corps or through, um, she's an English teacher, on uh, Native American reservations, first in Arizona and then up in the Washington state area. And she's a servant. You know, she's a leader in and of herself. She has created so many millennial scholars, I can't even count. Um, So I I don't, I don't, I'm not despondent about this. I think we have hope. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like there's lots of different ways to serve. So, so at Stanford, there's a uh, Haas public service, and this is kind of the gateway drug into education. They they go out and they serve in the community, and they begin to see how satisfying this is. You have one here in this education. building who actually works here. Michaela Sminsky was just downstairs. I ran into her. She was an undergrad at Stanford. She was in, my daughter went to Stanford too, and she uh, came and worked with me at Springboard, and now she's here. So she's definitely part of the Haas school. Yeah. So we do our part to produce these kinds of, of civil servants? Uh, civil servants who keep their sights high. That's what we want. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. We You're very so, welcome. so appreciate it. Thank you to our audience. Wonderful audience. And thank you to all the listeners listening to Schools In on SiriusXM. If you missed any part of this episode, you can listen on SoundCloud or on the Sirius app. From the campus of Stanford University, this has been Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope.